Welcome to the Awake Asia podcast, where each episode I share topics surrounding health, fitness, entrepreneurship, and conscious living to help you live a fitter, healthier, and more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. My name is Luke. I'm an author, educator, along with my wife, Emily, a mum and ultra-endurance athlete. We are the creators of awakemethod.com. This week, I'm joined with Dr. Thomas Lodi. Dr. Lodi is an expert on cancer and was one of the presenters for this year's PlantFit Summit. What he shared really blew my mind away on the mystery that is cancer. And I wanted to make what he shared readily available on this channel as well. In this episode, we chatted about the mechanisms of cancer, how it manifests, and what to do to almost cancer-proof your life. We started the conversation with Dr. Lodi sharing about why he decided to start his practice in Thailand. On to the episode. Working with cancer for so many years, and I'm, I'm looking at the data and the, and the statistics, I'm well aware of the fact that we are, the, the, the planet Earth is in the midst of a pandemic that it has never, ever, ever seen. I mean, one out of six people on planet Earth today uh, will get and probably die of cancer. Now, that's, we've never had anything like that where that covered uh, the span of the whole globe. So that's what we call a pandemic as, a pro, as opposed to an epi- epidemic, which is, you know, in one location. Uh, but if we go to different locations like the U.S., one out of two men, one out of three women. If we go to Europe, one out of four people. Uh, and Asia now, it's, it's one out of four. Thailand, you know, it's just becoming crazy. Um, so the, we, we must do something. And what I have found is through my work over the last uh, 20, 25 years, specifically with cancer, um, is I think really dealing with the fundamental pathology, the fundamental way that cancer comes into being. Um, and, and think about it. If you don't understand what is causing something, there's no way you can turn it around. You know, and that's our goal. Our goal is to turn cancer around. Our goal is not to um, uh, kill and attack and, 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 you know, that whole paradigm, which I'll discuss probably in a, in a, in a few moments. But um, anyway, so I came here because I wanted to open up a center. I, I, the reason I chose Thailand is I see Thailand as being in the heart of Asia. I mean, in the north, the north is China, uh, to the west is, is India, and then you have, you know, all of Southeast Asia, just right there, you know, including Singapore um, and all, all the way down to Indonesia. So it's right in the heart, in the hub, um, and um, there's lots of international flights to it and, and all that. And it's also a very friendly place for um, People who are um, um, in, in Thailand, in Thailand, if you're here to do some good, uh, and you're a foreigner, you're accepted, and and even if it's not mainstream, um, and and that's kind of like all of Asia. One of the reasons I love Asia is because Asia is not locked in the medical Western paradigm, the Western paradigm of uh, of, of duality, of polarity, of uh, is it this or that? You know, uh, like for example, the Western mind would ask. What's better, day or night? An absurd question. They're both necessary. And neither one is better. Neither one is uh, less, is, 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 is not better. I mean, it's, a, it's an insane question. But that's what the Western mind would ask. And the Eastern mind doesn't ask that question because you, you have the symbol of the yin-yang, uh, which tells you that it's, it's one. It's only one thing, and those are two aspects of it, and they understand it, 
And so we don't, you know, so in the East, they don't divide and, um, you know, they see the forest and they don't see the trees. Uh, they can see the trees if they need to, but um, they, they basically see the forest. They see the beauty, the wholeness. So that's why I came here. And, and Thailand's open. It's in the center. And the world's in the, in the middle of a, of a pandemic. And I, what I want to do is bring this healing um, set of modalities. It's a, it's a healing paradigm. I want to bring to other countries. I want to bring to Malaysia. I want to bring to Indonesia. I want to bring to Singapore. Singapore is going to be impossible because of the laws. But um, um, I can do it in India. So I can, I can bring it around there. And then I guess, if, at least if we're in Malaysia, Singaporeans can go over the border and, and, uh, and do that. But I want to put it around because, you know, it's a pandemic. And we, yeah, so that's, that, that's why. Long end. And I just want to kind of backtrack, zip back to what you said earlier in terms of one in six people are affected by it. Are certain cancers more prevalent in certain regions? And what are the top cancers that are out there right now? You can kind of divide cancers into two groups. Well, you used to be able to. Kind of those that were considered infectious versus those that were considered lifestyle. So the infectious ones were things like cervical cancer, which comes, which is related to the human papillomavirus, um, Burkitt's lymphoma, and nasopharyngeal cancers, you know, head, nose, and mouth uh, throat cancers, which are related to Epstein-Barr virus, uh, liver cancers, which are related to hepatitis B viruses, um, and um, um, uh, and then HIV, which you can get, you can wind up getting different other kinds of lymphomas from that. So there are what we know, what we consider, and then there's also in, in, the, in the infectious cause is um, liver cancers, bile duct cancers, which come from, uh, which are related to, not come totally from but are related to um, a liver fluke that is found in fish. And in, in Thailand actually has the highest incidence in the world um, of this because um, they eat a certain kind of fish that grows in the, uh, the ponds. That, it's not the ponds, but it's kind of the waters that, 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 that they use to water the, uh, the rice, the rice paddies. <clears throat> and they get these fish and they eat them raw. And in there is, um, is this liver fluke and they wind up getting uh, this disease, but we also see this, this this type of cancer. I see it in Indonesia and I see it in Malaysia uh, as, as well. So there must be some other way they're getting this liver fluke. So there are what we call infectious caused, infectiously related cancers, and then the lifestyle ones, which were breast, pancreas, colon, uh, prostate, and things like that. But what's happened is that the because um, uh, uh, America and the Western world, the the, the the corporations have been so successful in exporting. Uh, their, their, the American culture of Burger King and, and McDonald's and KFC, and because that is now worldwide, everywhere you go, you'll see those things. Uh, we now are seeing the lifestyle. We're, so we're seeing breast cancer as being the number one cause of death in, in, in women between certain age groups worldwide. It's no longer just in Europe and America like it used to be. You know, so now it's worldwide. So now, actually, what's happening with the 2012 when the... Um, the WHO, um, uh, there's an arm of the WHO called the IARC, uh, and that's their research arm for cancer. Uh, they came out and they, they predict, they made some predictions, and they said by 2030, there will be, 2030, that's not far away, 11 years, there will be a 70% increase in cancer incidence worldwide. Now, the brunt of it will be in Southeast Asia. Now, why? Think about it. In, in Southeast Asia and Asia in general, why? Well, because you have already the infectious-related ones. Now what you're going to do is you're going to add on 
the lifestyle because you've exported the lifestyle to, to Asia, Southeast Asia. So that's why what they're looking at is Southeast Asia being uh, and Asia being around a uh, uh, Southeast Asia mostly being um, at 55 percent. So, you know, yeah. but when we're looking, so, so lung cancer, of course, we related to smoking, but also, interestingly enough, most of the lung cancer we're seeing now, the majority of lung cancer we're seeing now is not, it's what we call non-small cell lung cancer. It's not related to smoking. And so the, you know, what it's called adenocarcinoma of the lung. And, 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 and there are a lot of reasons why we're getting that. One of them is very interesting. Um, and, and they've done the research in China is stir frying. Cause when you're stir, stir frying, you're aerosolizing these oils, you know, these fried oils, which are dangerous, actually, you know, just a bit of information, um, to chew on, um, it's uh, actually more dangerous. Uh, well, let me turn it around. It's safer to eat a, to smoke a cigarette than to eat a French fry. Wow. That's how bad fried food is. Not not that either should be done, but I'm just saying. You know, if you had to if you had to say, okay, well, am I going to smoke or eat fried foods? Smoke. I mean, that's really how bad it is. And I, I could go into the science of it, um, but it's not necessary. Um, and of course, smoking is a ridiculous insane habit that will uh, damage your whole body. Um, but, you know, think about it. Think about it. We talk about toxins. I mean, there are toxins you can take, right? Like enough, you take arsenic and you might die by tomorrow, right? Um, you smoke cigarettes, it takes 40 years. So on the list, on the, if we had to list our toxins, it's not as toxic. Uh, and French fries, uh, fried foods are actually much more deadly. They hit many, many more systems. The goal in life is to avoid all toxins and to eat only foods that will help um, uh, th that can be transmuted into healthy flesh and blood. That's what you want to be eating. You want to avoid all that. You want to avoid smoking. You want to you avoid breathing anything but ambient air, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but if you're going to, if you make a decision that, look, I got to live toxically, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I got to do certain things, then uh, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to tell you how to... Uh, prioritize your talk for sure for sure definitely want to go into the application and what people can do to kind of cancer prove themselves a little bit later but before we actually get there i just want to get your opinion of what cancer is and how does it actually manifest in the body cancer is uh very simple it was it was pretty much discovered or uh, uh, elucidated uncovered uh in 1931 dr otto warburg when he in those days he didn't have the vocabulary that we have now or the or the scientific knowledge um, he called it a failure in cellular respiration now cellular respiration we now know is what occurs at a uh, inside the cell within these little organelles called mitochondria now these mitochondria they take oxygen and glucose and they they produce uh, energy which is called atp so they're very efficient one glucose molecule with six oxygens actually becomes 36 to 38 atp which is a very high yield one to gives you 38 so, uh, and that's important because cells need about, each cell needs about 1 billion ATP at all times to, to run its, uh, to run all of its um, fundamental uh, uh, requirements just for uh, continuing to exist. And then on top of that, to produce uh, proteins or produce hormones or do whatever other work the cell does. So um, it needs 1 billion ATP every, at, every, at every moment. So we, it's constantly busy. Well, what happens is, uh, because there's oxygen involved in that little process, six oxygens and one glucose, the oxygen, when it goes into the cell, will, will break down, break apart into what are called reactive oxygen species like superoxide, hydrogen peroxide, 
And these are what are called free radicals. Now, free radicals are not, neither bad nor good. They're necessary. They're used throughout all of nature. Our white blood cells use free, uh, free radicals to kill bacteria, to kill viruses. Uh, free radicals are used for us. In fact, the process that the, that the mitochondria go through to give us energy to stay alive is called oxidative phosphorylation. So, you know, it's necessary for life. Um, the problem with, 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 with free radicals is when they accumulate and they cannot be neutralized. And then they start damaging healthy uh, organelles, etc. So what happens in the mitochondria is that as the day progresses, you start to accumulate um, uh, little free radicals that you can't neutralize, you can't quench. And, uh, and they do damage. And that's one of the m most important reasons to go to sleep at night. Because when you go to sleep at night, you start your, your pineal gland produces melatonin. And melatonin is one of the most potent uh, scavengers of free radical, uh, of, of um, the hydroxyl radical, which is the, the end point. Anyway, so th that happens. And then, uh, and then when you go to sleep also, your, 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 your body through autophagy eats up all those old mitochondria and uh, you have new ones. You wake up in the morning full of energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, um, when, when, because there's oxygen, because there's free radicals, these are the parts of the cell that are most vulnerable to being damaged. So if you have that going on, you know, just the natural process of free radical accumulation in mitochondria and you're eating uh, chemicals, you're breathing, you're breathing uh, really foul air because you live in a, like in uh, Mexico City or L.A. or something like that. Um, uh, and you're wearing clothing that's toxic and you, you add these all these things on. You've got you're inundated with Wi-Fi and on top of it all, you're totally stressed out all day long because you're late for this. You're late for that. You should have done this. You know, and all you put all that together, and what happens is you start to get uh, accumulative damage of the mitochondria because, as I said, they're vulnerable. When you lose 40 to 60 percent of them, their function, the cell now, in the homeostatic corrective response, in order to stay alive, starts to ferment glucose because that's the only other way it can make energy, and it's got to make energy. So now it goes into fermenting glucose rather than oxidative phosphorylation. Because remember, why not? Because the mitochondria are now dysfunctional, most of them. So now it's fermenting. Well, fermentation only gives you two ATP for every glucose. So this is very inefficient. So what does the cell need to stay alive? A lot more fuel, a lot more glucose. So it starts eating glucose. So and now we have a whole new metabolic uh, um, uh, mechanism going on. An operating system is completely different. Um, so now what it has to do is that signals the nucleus to turn on and turn off certain genes to support this new metabolic requirement, right? So basically you've changed operating systems. Um, and then, and, and so now on that, so these genes that are turned on to support glycolysis or fermentation are what are known as oncogenes. So the oncogenes did not start it. They are the response to it. And we know this, and I, I, I won't go into why we, how, how, why we know this, but it's not even, it's not, it's, it's a hundred percent fact. Uh, um, so we know this. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so that's what cancer is. It's a chronically fermenting cell that now has a genetic, a different genetic expression because it's necessary for the operation of the cell. That's what's happening. Okay. So um, it's nothing more. And that's why when someone says, I have breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, brain cancer, if you notice, the only difference is the first word. The first word, the second word's cancer. So that means it's doing that particular metabolic dance. But the first word gives you what? Location. And that's the only reason why one cancer is more dangerous than another cancer. 
Pancreatic cancer is more dangerous than breast because if it grows one centimeter, it's already in another organ. We're in stage four. We've got complications. Breast can go five centimeters you know, out and, and not cause a complication. So really, it's location, location, location with cancer and sales. You mentioned nutrition earlier and the food, and you mentioned French fries. If we zero down on nutrition specifically, what other foods directly contribute to cancer growth? Well, um, it, it's not only what, it's also um, frequency and volume. So, but let me, let me talk about that. But, but anyway, the what, the what is that, uh, you know, when we eat what we were designed to eat, what is eating for? Eating is to supply the nutrients. What are nutrients? Nutrients are, are fundamental um, organic chemicals uh, and inorganic molecules that are necessary to uh, produce new cells and produce energy. Okay, why do we need to do that? Because every second our body is making two to three million new cells. Every second our body is making two to three million new cells. Okay, so it's very, very busy. It needs a lot of raw materials in order to do that. So those raw materials are obtained from what, what we eat and breathe, what comes in through our skin, etc. Okay, um, so we need to make sure that what we're getting in is going is appropriate to satisfy that need of making new cells and also producing energy. So um, um, that so that's what food comes down to. So what is food? Food is anything that can do that. And um, <clears throat> so, um, for example, can you get a lot of can you get some protein from eating a, a dead animal? Yes, absolutely. You eat a, you eat the muscles of a dead animal, and uh, you will get um, a lot of protein. But you get a lot of other stuff too. You get a lot of you get a lot of fats and other things that, that are that actually cause damage. Um, and also, you get a little bit too much protein. Um, and, and, and I won't go into that. But anyway, that turns out to be carcinogenic. Um, sets up the stage for cancer. Um, and not only um, not only that, but even in something as simple as a as a milk. Milk has a particular protein called casein, which uh, actually is one of the most potent carcinogens ever discovered. Uh, cheese, yogurt, all those things. Um, so, um, you know, so if you if you didn't want to be a complete vegan, you could probably get away with eggs. I mean, um, and, and get it. And, and please th take the word cholesterol and throw it away because the whole that's a whole that's just the it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick <clears throat> uh, to say cholesterol is bad. It's, 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 it reminds me of the conventional world telling us that uh, going out in the sun is bad. Now, the sun, which is the center of all life on our solar system, is bad. It's the source of all life, and it's bad. So instead, we're going to put on these chemicals that we do we do know cause cancer to protect us from the sun. It's it's insane. So anyway, they've got us believing these sorts of things. So people are putting on these ridiculous chemicals and avoiding the sun. So and so they're not getting vitamin D, etc. So anyway. I want to go into what you just said. So you mentioned casein, um, and I've studied Dr. Colin Campbell's work as well. So is there a correlation between animal protein and cancer? If so, what in animal protein contributes? Is it the amino acid profile? Is it the toxins in the animal protein? Is it a saturated fat? Maybe you can break it down a little. Um, casein itself is, uh, the reason it's in all animal milk, all animals milk, all mammals, is because it's proliferative. And that's that's a very important um, um, process. When when, a, when an infant of any species is born, its cells need to um, uh, proliferate quickly so that the that the animal can double in size and reach reach a viable size. Or and once it reaches a viable size, then the then the mother will wean them, and they wean them very strictly. 
They don't negotiate. They don't say, okay, a little bit on Tuesday night, and then you know maybe we'll, we'll do it on the weekends. It's nothing like that. It's like it's a cutoff point where you're weaned, and and that's it. And then no adult animal continues to drink it. And it's very that's why the instinct of all these animals is that way. It's very strict because why? Because now if you once you've achieved, achieved a certain age, certain height, I mean a certain weight and height and all that and development, if you stimulate proliferation, that's you know unchecked proliferation is what cancer is. So you definitely don't want to do that. Um, and, uh, but all animal, the other thing about getting too much protein, the more protein you are getting into your body, the less, the less autophagy you do, because autophagy is turned on, uh, in response to that, in response to, uh, amino acids going down. That's one of the reasons it, it gets turned on. So if you're getting a good supply, you're not doing autophagy. If you're not doing, if your if your cells aren't eating themselves up, re, you know, recycling themselves, then they're accumulating toxins and becoming dysfunctional. And then you have, again, you have the same sort of thing. Uh, you wind up losing um, uh, the ability of apoptosis. Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you stop apoptosis, then you essentially will eventually turn into cancer as well. So the fats, yeah, the fats, the reason you have to understand why fats are so, are so critical is that if you consider we have 60 to 100 trillion cells, um, they're all covered with membranes. Each organelle inside the cell is covered with membranes. Those membranes are about 70% uh, fat, fatty, uh, uh, fatty acids, right? Phospholipids, right? The rest are glycoproteins and um, glycolipids and things like that. You know, sugars and sugars and, pro and amino acids attached to fats. But basically, it's fat. And the membrane of the cell actually serves as a capacitor. And because if you want to understand what a capacitor is, a capacitor is when you have two conductors separated by an insulator. So when you have um, a cell membrane, a double-layered cell membrane, bilayered cell membrane, it's got two phosphates. Uh, it's called, they're called phospholipids. So that means it's a lipid, that means a fat with a phosphate on the end of it, and then another fat with a phosphate on it. And, and the two fatty strings are together, and the two phosphate groups are on either side. And so the, each, one is on the outside of the cell and one is on the inside of the cell. So it allows water soluble substances to go by, electrolytes, et cetera. So it's a conductor. In the, in, but it, where those two tails of the lipid are connecting, it's uh, insoluble to water. So it's an insulator. So now you have, in effect, a biological capacitor that holds charge. Why, we, why are we holding charge? Because the voltage of a cell is directly related to the amount of ATP or energy produced. Now, what we know is that <clears throat> each cell needs 22 to my, what they call minus 22 to minus 25 millivolts to operate. If it gets beaten, it gets uh, damaged, and it has an inflammation occurs, it has to get up to 50 millivolts and hold it there in order to heal. And if you have a chronic situation like cancer, like arthritis, like heart disease, like hypertension, diabetes, you've got to get up to minus 70 millivolts to hold. Now, in order to hold uh, a charge at that, that means you have to have really healthy um, uh, membranes because you, uh, because that's those are the capacitors. So the capacitors must be capable of maintaining a charge, and we just don't have that. If your capacitor, if your membranes are made up of KFC or a cheese pizzas and all that, you will not be able to hold the charge. And if you cannot get your voltage up, you cannot heal. Simple, you can't heal from anything. When we look at chronic fatigue, we look at any of those things. What we need to do, basically, there's a, it's a very, very simple thing. It's what we need to do in all conditions, and that is we need to revitalize mitochondria, and we need to make really healthy, strong. Uh, 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 membranes. 
to hold the voltage in, the charge. Because remember, life is energy. and you run out of energy, the game is over. That's it. When you, and also, so, so you get to a, you get to a, you get, instead of a 25 millivolts, you get to 15 millivolts, you're really tired. You can't get up, you, you get up, you walk around, you can't, certainly can't go to work. You get to five millivolts, you're, you're bedridden. You know, you can hardly go to the bathroom. You get to zero or, or reverse, reverse polarity and you have cancer, you know. So um, that's what, that's the importance of fats. Uh, too much amino acid is not good. And of course, glucose. If you start getting too much glucose in your body, in your extracellular fluid, your cellular machinery says, no, this is deadly. And so you, be, so it's the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the membranes of the cell send a signal to the nucleus saying, we need to, we need to stop uh, absorbing glucose. So insulin receptor production goes down and the cells become what is called, known as insulin resistant. We call it diabetes. We call it a disease. It's not a disease. It's the body protecting itself from our madness. So uh, it's an adaptive response. And everything that the, that the Western world calls, calls diseases are merely the body adapting itself in, uh, to and uh, engaged in a homeostatic corrective response to remain, to maintain functional integrity until you can wake up and, and start eating like a normal, like a healthy human should. Not a normal. You don't want to eat like any, you, want, you don't want to have a normal blood test. You don't want to be anything normal because normal people every 35 seconds get heart attack. Every 40 seconds get uh, stroke, uh, and one out of four get cancer, et cetera. So you don't want to be normal. You want to be healthy. Um, anyway, so that, that's the macronutrient thing. And then, of course, my, micronutrients, which are all the minerals, uh, vitamins, et cetera. Where do you get those from? Where can you get, where can you get those from? You get them from, uh, from plants. You can't eat dirt. I mean, you can, but you're not going to absorb much. Okay, so you need all the minerals to have come through the plants. You need the, you need the bioavailable minerals of magnesium, calcium, molybdenum, uh, manganese. You need all of that in the plant, in the plant form, right? And then what else do the plants have? They have all the phytonutrients. They have the carotenes and they have the tocopherols. They have that's where you get it. You know, no one ever takes a a, 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 a vitamin supplement that has got a ground up animal in it. You know, I mean, you get, you, you, it's very, very simple. And I want to remind you, all amino acids originate in plants. All amino acids originate. That amino acids are proteins, okay? Only plants and bacteria can fix nitrogen to carboxylic acid and produce an amino acid. So the, that's why plants make all 20 amino acids. Animals can only take whatever they get and then modify them, and they can only make 10. So animals make 10, plants make 20. That's, that's what... That's that. At fats, all fats come from seeds and nuts, oils. That's the that's where fats originate from. And then, uh, of course, all carbohydrates come from glucose, which are what time. So I did, I just want you to remind you that um, of of where nutrients come from. So so I guess backtracking to my initial question earlier. So animal protein does contribute to cancer. Yeah. So it does contribute because of the the fat content, the toxins, or. Um, the amino acid profile. Well, well, the amino acid and fat are, are the big ones, but then you also, because of uh, uh, the fats, you know, here's the thing. It would be, if you're going to eat meat, you should eat it raw. If you eat it, because once you cook it, you've changed the whole chemistry. Now you have, a, now it's extremely toxic. But if you eat it raw, it's going to be much less toxic. Um, first of all, you don't get cholesterol oxidation products when you, because um, it's not cholesterol that hurts you. It's oxidized cholesterol. Okay, and oxidized cholesterol comes from cooking or is increased with cooking. For example, butter butter has no um, 
uh, has zero oxidized cholesterol. But the minute, you, the minute you heat up butter, it's got oxidized cholesterol. And it's, what, is it, what do I mean by oxidized? It's, it's, a, it's basically cholesterol that's become a free radical, right? And so, yeah, that's why it gets into the, uh, into the lining of the blood vessels and causes atherogen. It's atherogenic. Um, you know, atherosclerosis comes from that. So, um, yeah, so if you're going to eat animals, eat them, eat, them the way the, uh, eat them the way the carnivores eat them. For sure. I, I, love, I love your passion for that. I just want to now get into treatment as well. So we talked about food. So, I mean, there's conventional treatment protocols like surgery and chemo versus alternative treatments like perhaps juice fasting and ozone therapy, for example. So when do you use what? What we see in the hospitals is conventional. White coats, conventional. And it's, it's not that it's the best. It's that it's, it, by definition, it means that it's agreed upon by convention. In other words, it's, a, it's the agreed upon opinion, the agreed upon uh, method of treating. So anyway, <clears throat> in the conventional hospitals, what they do is they, their paradigm is a paradigm that we're going to kill this tumor because this tumor has invaded the body as if it came from outside, as if it were an, an alien or a growth from a bacteria or a, something. You know, it, it's gotten in there. We have to get rid of it. The body is fine, except for this cancer. You know, that whole concept is, 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 is just wrong. And so what happens is the doctor goes to war against the tumor. The doctors, the general, the nurses and the technicians are the soldiers and they go to war. The unfortunate tragedy is that the person is the battleground. And so the person, unfortunately, most people die from treatment, not from cancer. That's a sad, sad truth. If surgery were the answer, cancer would be easy, be easy. We wouldn't be having this discussion. You just cut it out and you're done. No, they cut it out and then they say, well, now we need to do chemo and radiation. Well, why? Well, because that surgery didn't solve it. Well, if it didn't solve it, why are we doing it? Anyway, the chemo and the radiation. Um, so what do we know about surgery also? We also know that uh, tumors, uh, the body is produce, produces certain enzymes and uh, other chemicals that keep the tumor where it is in, in one location. Uh, once you even do a biopsy or or certainly when you cut it out, you do a lumpectomy or you remove the tumor, excisional biopsy, now you've released those chemicals and now it, it, it goes everywhere. That, 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 that protection is now released. We know this, there are, work, there are actual molecules involved, there's research involved, um, it, it exists, um, number one. Number two, um, the, one of the molecules that's released uh, um, actually allows the new the, the tumor cells that are spread from doing the surgery to actually stick to the blood vessel wall or stick to the lymph, lymphatic vessel wall and then to penetrate. Okay, it's called galactin three. So it it allows galactin three. It increases its uh, ability. To, it goes into the, and you it stimulate metastasis. So there, and there's other ways, inflammation, etc. So there's four ways that surgery causes metastasis. So you only do surgery when it's you're having it's affecting a, a vital function like breathing, eating. Having going to the bathroom, it's in the brain, things like that. Or number two, it's excruciatingly painful. Or, sim or number three, it's simply too big, and it, it, the body will never be able to deal with it. Other than that, there's no there's no reason to do it because you're not going to accomplish anything. You haven't cured the person. Now you've also anyway. I won't go into all that. Now the chemo chemo we know stimulates uh, what are called the WNT16 proteins, which are necessary for for metastatic spread throughout the connective tissue and into blood vessels. That's one of the things. There's many, many, there's a whole list, a lot of research on how 
chemo spreads cancer. Not only increases metastasis, it also it also damage. It tar it's not targeted. It's it's an equal. Um, it, it equally goes to all cells. So it also damages uh, the immune cells, the liver cells, everything. So it's um, it's like it's like if you had a um, let's say you had uh, a scorpion on the wall, right? And it was a deadly scorpion. So you wanted to get rid of the scorpion, and you take a hand grenade. You throw a hand grenade at the wall. Does that make sense? I know. Why don't you get it like a little dart, you know, or something like that? Uh, keep the wall. You don't have to get rid of the wall. Anyway, that's kind of what they do. That's what the, 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 the chemotherapy does. So that's why if you look into oncology, in conventional oncology, for the last 10 years, more, they've been, everything's been looking at how do we target it. So they're targeting it with monoclonal antibodies. They're targeting it with other, with other kinds of things. Um, and uh, most of the drugs now end in IB or AB, you know, because meaning that they're, um, they're targeting mechanisms. The problem is because they're synthetic, because they're not naturally, they're not natural targeting mechanisms, then you don't really know the ultimate effect on the body. So, for example, if they develop a, a, a monoclonal antibody that they think is going to target a particular area of the immune system, for example, that's gone awry, they think, or... Or, 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 or a growth factor uh, like HER2 or whatever it is in breast cancer or tamoxifen. Let's say they develop something that's going to tox them, that's going to attack them. What they don't know is will it attack something similar, biochemically similar in the body? And yes, indeed it does. So every one of these drugs that they've developed now have severe, crazy side effects. You know, they cause other cancers, they cause heart failure, they cause all sorts of things. So they're not, because they're not naturally derived targeting mechanisms. Um, so anyway, that's what's going on with that, and then and then uh, and then you've got radiation. I mean, if you if anyone thinks radiation is is okay, then they should actually take a vacation in Fukushima this uh, summer and uh, enjoy enjoy the beaches in Fukushima. Um, radiation is insane, and the radio. If you, if I want you to notice that the technicians and the radiologists are nowhere near you if you're getting irradiated. The other thing I see with radiation every day, tragically is that wherever they radiated, the adjacent tissues are damaged. We see bowel, bowel obstructions, heart uh, fluid around the heart, lungs. I mean, yeah, it's just, so the whole thing is insane. Anyway, that's the paradigm that they that they go into. And they I usually see them after that, when they finally say, um, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. Then they, they come to us. And even in that condition, we're getting, uh, we get incredible results. But uh, the difference in the paradigm, instead of viewing that, we realize that cancer is the body adapting, attempting to adapt. And the, 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 the way that it's attempting to adapt is it's uh, what, what has caused cancer, as we've already talked about, is um, uh, knocking out or making dysfunctional about 60% of the, the mitochondria. So the cell can no longer engage in normal types of energy production called oxidative phosphorylation. So the only way it can make energy now is through uh, glycolysis, also known as fermentation. Well, the end product of glycolysis, the end product of fermentation, is lactic acid. So the pH around the tumor and in the tumor drops really low. So it's a very acidic environment. So even if you're taking and you're doing colon hydrotherapy and lymphatics and you're getting to sleep on time and you're exercising and your body is very, very alkaline, your, that means your blood and your tissues are. The tumor is still not alkaline. 
the tumor has its own little life in, in that it's producing acid. And so it's that there, what develops around the tumor actually is a wall of acid that we now know, the science shows us, prevents the immune system from breaking through that wall. It also prevents chemo. If, so, if the pH is below 7.0, the chemotherapy cannot break through. And this is what we see in most hospitals when they're, they'll do, they'll do a, a, pro, a treatment and it will initially uh, show some benefit that the tumor is shrinking and then it stops working. So they go to another protocol and they go to another protocol. And basically what's happening is it's all being shut out by this acid wall. That's one of, one of the mechanisms by which uh, it's, you know, the cancer is overcoming, um, becoming resistant to uh, the chemo or the radiation or whatever it is. Uh, the targeted therapies, all these new ones. Um, but anyway, that acid wall is a big one. And the most important thing is that the natural killer cells, the, 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 the activated lymphocytes, uh, the macrophages, dendritic cells can't get through there. And if they can't get through and there's no immune response, that's it. Can't, can't, can't resolve this problem. So what we've done, we've been working with Japanese and, and German professors, uh, from around the you know, around the world who are located in different spots other than their home countries and their home countries um, and we've uh, got some amazing therapies so what we do is, is we use a very natural substance uh, it's an infusion um, into the vein as, as, as you know a lot of treatments are <clears throat> um, I just like vitamin C or anything else uh, but what this does is it goes directly to the tumor bed and alkalinizes it raises the pH up up to like 7.2 7.3 like that so what happens is that the now the natural killer cells and all, all the immune cells can get through and do their job they know what to do they they they're the ones that know what we don't know what to do i mean no matter how long scientists study try to study the details of the biochemistry and the biology of life we'll never completely understand it we won't even get close um, so anyway, <clears throat> but these immune cells know exactly what to do. So basically what we're doing is lifting the wall and allowing them to get in. So that's one of the therapies that we do. The other therapies that we do, of course, are to clean the body out and get rid of all the toxins and waste products, um, balance the hormones, get to sleep early, re uh, teach ways of removing stress because stress exacerbates all of this. Um, and then we wake up the immune system too, because, um, I mean, in addition to doing all of that uh, and making it alkaline, we will also give other therapies that metabolically uh, eliminate cancer, not by poison, but by metabolic therapies such as uh, intravenous vitamin C, intravenous uh, B17, intravenous quercetin, intravenous curcumin, intravenous artesanate, you know, things like that that are all botanically based therapies that don't kill, they just put the cancer cell in a position where it needs certain enzymes to survive and it simply doesn't have them. And so healthy cells do well, cancer cells don't do well at all. And then the third aspect is to increase, uh, stimulate the immune system, wake it up because it's been, it's been hypnotized by the cancer. So doing all of that, we, what we're doing is just putting the body in the position to do what it knows how to do. We're not telling nature how to work. We're not, we don't presume to even understand what it is that nature should do. But we, we have the, the incredible uh, respect and reverence for nature and its wisdom, which is from God. And we know that it will take care of the job. It just needs to have a few walls lifted and uh, take out a few uh, boulders from the stream so it can flow steadily, and that's it. So that's basically what we do. And uh, it turns out to work 
incredibly well. So with that in mind, a lot of people when diagnosed with cancer are pressured into conventional treatments, um, like what you just shared. Are there any issues with that? And in your experience, can you share any stories um, in your practice of people doing so and coming to you and what you've done differently instead? That's the problem. When, when, when someone gets cancer, the whole family gets activated. And uh, rather than, you know, and people have their different prejudices and most people have think that the conventional world is going to help with cancer. They don't know the real data. The real data published 2005 Journal of, Clin of Clinical Oncology showed that the, the contribution of chemotherapy to cancer uh, they did a meta-analysis uh, in America and Australia, and their conclusion was uh, if you enter, if you get uh, standard uh, chemotherapy uh, and you have stage 4 cancer in America, you have a 2.1% chance of being alive in five years. In Australia, you have a 2.3% chance of being alive in five years. So that means, let's turn that around, that means you have a greater than 97% chance of not being alive. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not get on a plane that had that kind of statistic. So um, anyway, but they failed to tell you that, you know, and that's what uh, you have to remember that fraud can either be by commission or omission. That when you have fraud by commission, that is you tell a lie. Fraud by omission is you just fail to tell the truth. And that's what they do all the time. You enter the hospital and they give you some data. And they say this is a highly effective and 80%. Well, what do you mean by highly effective? Well, what that turns out, if you look at the study, it means they had a three-month cancer-free progression. It means it didn't grow, but it didn't go away for three months, 80%, highly effective. You know, that, that's what they're looking So you got to ask them what they're talking about. But anyway, so most people are pressured by their family and by their own fears to go into the conventional world. And that's why the majority of people we get have already had chemo, radiation, and, 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 uh, and surgery. And, 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 the, and the conventional world has told them there's nothing else we can do, or they're now saying, okay, we're going to change chemos now, and the person says, no more, and they just run away. You know, that's how we usually get people. Is, 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 and, and even in spite of that, even in spite of that, we're getting up to 60% of the stage four people um, uh, rather than just 2.3, 2.1. So, um, now, but nowadays, which is, is nice is that... Um, uh, more, more and more people are coming at, at earlier stages just because uh, it's, you know, as I said, cancer is so pandemic that almost everybody either has had a friend or a relative that's had cancer. So they've seen what they go through and they just don't want to go through that. So we're just, we're starting to get, you know, people uh, sooner, which is fantastic. Um, so what we do uh, anyway, so I see that and then they come to me and it's, it's tragic. Um, but, um, you know, some stories, I'll give you a story of a lady who came. She had had the she had had a, the standard treatment and um, she breast cancer and it was now in her lungs. She was brought into our clinic on a gurney. She was from China. Um, this was back in the U.S. She was brought into the clinic on a on a gurney um, with the breathing apparatus. Um, and uh, she had seen some of my videos and so when I walked up to her and she grabbed my arm and she said, "Thank God, now I know I'm going to make it." Uh, she was. She had just come from her doctor, who told her she had three weeks to live. Six, six weeks later, she was jogging to the clinic. Her husband would drive behind to make sure she was okay. And six to eight years later, I can't remember. Um, I got a postcard from Paris. She was on vac. She was on vacation. And I have many, 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 many stories like that. So um, that that is that is common, and that's more that's more common than uh, uncommon. So 
Um, but what was the ingredient there? The mat, and I, and I hope you didn't miss that ingredient. I didn't I hope you didn't miss that thing. And that is, she knew she was going to heal. Okay. I don't care what modality you use. I don't care what you're doing. If your mind is not there, you will not heal. And even if your body is well, it is, it is no detectable cancer, and you haven't changed the way you're thinking and, and, and inside, you, within two years, it'll be back. Three years, it'll be back. Because it's a psycho-spiritual condition as much as it is a physical condition. And we have to remember that the human being is, a, is, a, is mind, body, and spirit. And they're all interconnected. And so you have to deal with that. Anyway, faith is not believing in something. Faith is knowing something that's going to happen that it hasn't happened. Not believing, knowing it. Or, you know, so, and then that's and I and we have to distinguish between that because when you can only the only thing you ever believe in is something that is not true. You can believe in Santa Claus. You can believe in tooth fairies. You don't believe in mountains or oceans. I want you to understand that the word belief implies doubt. The word belief implies doubt so the difference between belief and knowing is there's is is light years difference okay and you know so you i mean you one and one is two you know that you don't believe it okay you cut your finger while you're peeling an apple you don't believe it's going to heal you know it's going to heal okay and when you know that about the cancer then you don't even need to come to us when you know it and that it'll it'll be healed and that's and that's what that's a big component we have here in Phuket. We have we focus big time on that yoga, meditation, tai chi, tai chi. It's a big part of everyone's day. Um, we also uh, one of the best medicines we have is called the ocean. Uh, we have at the beach here, and it's warm, and it's and you we want your shoes off on the beach, and 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 the plants are all around, and the beauty of it. I mean, so you know that's that's the real medicine. You know, Voltaire. Voltaire said that the role of the physician is to entertain the patient while nature cures them. Yeah, and, that, and that's what we do. I, I just consider myself a medical entertainer. I love it. While, while we're here as well, what's your take on medical professionals giving a time frame for people to live? For example, someone's been diagnosed with prostate cancer and the doctor says, oh, you've got three months to live, you've got six months to live. How does that affect someone? First of all, the doctor's lying. And what you have to understand is what the doctor just did. He committed something called sorcery. Uh, I, I'm sure everyone's familiar with sorcery. It's when you cast a spell on someone and you've got some powers. When you're in a seat of authority, if you're wearing that white coat and you say something, it's taken as absolute fundamental truth. So you say you're going to die in three months. The person usually dies in three months. We had a guy with a glioblastoma, uh, you know, a tumor in his brain. And he, you know, so his, he was thinking was a little off. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, we, we realized that after about a month, uh, whenever we were, have had meetings with him, uh, he was always looking at the clock. And we asked him, finally, he said, well, why, why are you looking at the clock? He goes, just looking at the time. And, uh, and uh, finally, it came down, we, why, why are you looking at the time? And he said, well, because I'm supposed to die soon. And um, the doctor told him that. So anyway, for, keep this in mind. When the doctor, all the statistics that doctors have about how long people survive with cancer. Only They only have those statistics on the people who do their treatments. The people who walk away and say, I want nothing to do with this and go to other, other methods or other, other modalities or leave the country or go to shamanic healers or whatever they do, there's no data on them. So they can't, you cannot include that in the prediction. 
So what they're saying, what the doctor should be saying is if you do what I say, you'll be dead in three months, you'll be dead in six months. But if you don't do what I say, I don't know what's going to happen. It would be the truth. Okay. And even that people do have spontaneous healings. People do. We don't understand it. And that person, that doctor doesn't know when they're going to die. They don't know when uh, Trump is going to die. Certainly. Um, they don't know anything. So really it's a lie. We don't know when anybody's going to die. They don't know if they'll be alive tomorrow. The person could, 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 could die of a heart attack before that, or the person could somehow resolve the tumor and go on. They don't know. It's a lie. It's a lie. And so, and, but it's also sorcery. It's an evil lie. They should never say it. They should never say it because they don't know. Even if you knew, why would you say it? Even if you knew, even if you had, a, 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 you were like, you were, a, you were a clairvoyant and you had a premonitory glimpse into the future and you knew for certain the person was going to die on Wednesday, June 3rd. Why, why tell them? Are you, are you doing them a favor? I mean, what, what are you doing this for? Is it to make you feel good? Do you now feel like you are very smart, clever? You want people to pat you on the back? You want another medal on top of that white coat? You want another certificate on your wall? What is it? Why would you tell someone that? Anyway, um, yeah, this stuff makes, makes me crazy. For sure. So I think rising from the depths of cancer and the depression that it perpetuates in, in families and in people, how can someone cancer-proof themselves? That which is required to be restored to health the same is required to maintain health. So you can look at the, the most fundamental way of, of, of dealing with, with cancer if you have it is the way you should live if you want to not have it. And that is what? Eat human food. And then we didn't talk about intervals. Put at least 18 hours between your last meal and your first meal. So before we actually go into intervals, what, what do you define as human food in a nutshell? Well, we're, we're primates. Actually, we're actually very close to primates. So all you got to do is just go into the jungle and hang out with the chimps for a while, hang out with the gorillas and just see what they eat. Um, and that's it. It's living plants, living plants, alive plants, plants that are alive that haven't been dead, killed, cooked. That's what they eat. That's what they eat. <clears throat> and by the way, in the jungle, they don't get high blood pressure. They don't get diabetes. They don't get um, <clears throat> cancer. They don't get any of those things unless they get domesticated. Unless an animal gets domesticated and starts eating the junk we eat, then, then they, don't, they don't get cancer. But nowadays, that's not even changing. Even animals in the wild are getting all these conditions because our, because our environment is so toxic. You know, unfortunately, you know, we have toxins everywhere. PCBs are found in the fat of polar bears on autopsy who have never had any interaction with humans ever. Because, you know, so anyway, it's no longer <clears throat> that way. But I just want you to understand that um, it's only our domesticated pets that get all the same as uh, I mean, you, if, if you want to do something interesting, you look up uh, the Pottinger study from 1932 to 1942. The Pottinger study with cats, okay? Uh, <clears throat> 10-year study. Look it up. Um, uh, there's a book called The Pottinger Prophecy, which you could, you could also want to read. I'll definitely look into that. So how do you spell Pottinger? P-O-T-T-E-N-G-E-R. Okay. I'll put that down in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And the Pottinger Prophecy is a great book because uh, it because it, it kind of goes over the over the uh, the study and then gives you even more um, information. Uh, very good. So, um, but anyway, uh, so human food is uh, is that is, is basically plants. Uh, do you have to be a hundred percent? Probably not. Probably not. Um, you know, uh, 
But the, the thing is, if you're going to eat food that's real food, real food is food that comes to us that the earth produced. Uh, right? Uh, once you've, once you, once hum, what, ha, what do you call something that is, that humans do? When, when humans modify nature, what is it called now? It's got a new word. It's called artificial. In fact, archaeologists, when they're looking, when they're look, digging, doing, digging up ruins, they're looking for artifacts. Artifacts are things that were no longer natural. That means humans were there. Okay, so no, so artificial. So once you take food that the earth produces and you modify it in any way, it is now an, now an artificial substance. Okay, now especially with heat, you use heat. You have if you just just do a biochemical um, uh, analysis of spinach before and after uh, steaming, of of a steak before and after, of a piece of fish before and after frying. Just do a biochemical analysis. You'll see you no longer have the same substances. You have just changed the substances. Okay. So basically what I'm saying is that if you're going to eat whatever you eat, eat it in an uncooked natural way because that's our bodies are that way. That's our bodies were designed for that. Okay. And it turns out that the food that we're not only, not only physiologically and biochemically ad adapted to, which are plants, it's also instinctual. You never... I can tell you with ever not ever having met you, anyone out there, you have never looked at a cow walking across the pasture and licked your lips and salivated. Never. A lion would. You have never come upon a dead animal on the street and got down and smelled it to make sure it was still okay to eat. Never. A dog would do that. Okay, so it's not only fits into our biochemistry and our physiology, into our deepest instincts that cannot be perverted by culture. Okay, so um, <clears throat> anyway. So that's number one, human food, plant food, not dead food. No one can be 100%. So don't worry about it. Make yourself 80-20. You know, just make sure that 80% of what you're eating is real human food and the 20% make sure it's not bad. I mean, if you're going to eat it, you know, you want to eat some cooked food, you know. So there are ways of making that 20% not deadly, but, but, but still okay, and still live and still be healthy. But if you're sick, you have cancer, then you've got to do it 100% for a while until your body's back in that condition of being, you know, being of non-detectable cancer. Then you can add in the 20%. You want that 20% to be, um, you know, uh, smart, well thought out, um, healthy. So anyway, well, the next question was what? Um, so that's not number two. You were saying um, time restricted eating, uh, the intervals of eating. Uh, the fund one of the fundamental pathological um, processes that, that go on um, in all conditions that we call diseases uh, is the glucose insulin dynamic. Um, it underlies everything um, um, from high blood pressure to diabetes to fatty liver to cancer. I mean, you name it. Um, and so the control of that is when you don't eat. So uh, as important as eating is, it's also important not to eat for inter intervals. So if you, if you can put 18 hours between your last and your first meal, then you will um, have allowed your, your body will not become, your body will be, uh, have a very, be insulin sensitive. And the reason that's important is because you have to understand that insulin selectively feeds cancer. Okay, so if you eat something that causes a spike in your sugar, why do I say that? Cancer cells have um, hundreds of thousands of more insulin receptors than healthy cells. Why? Because they need more sugar. 
So they've upregulated their uh, insulin receptor status. They have more insulin receptors. Okay, so we, we know, I mean, that's just a, a biological fact. Um, and so you eat a piece of uh, a fruit even and you have cancer. You eat a banana and you have cancer. Uh, you eat a donut and you have cancer. Your blood sugar shoots up. Your pancreas produces insulin. Your cancer cells grab that insulin first and then they eat first. It's a survival mechanism of cancer. So anyway, what you want to do is make sure that you're not eating foods that cause a spike in insulin, right? You need glucose. Every, every, you know, there's glucose in spinach. There's glucose in broccoli. There's glucose in every plant. That's, it's not that you, you're going to avoid glucose altogether. It's just you're going to avoid concentrated ones that cause a spike because that spike will stimulate insulin and then you'll feed the cancer first. Right, so that's 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 kind of the idea on that, and you get and you make your body more sensitive to insulin. That is, it's more easily satisfied without having to make a lot of insulin. That's very very important, and that can only happen by having a good interval of 18 hours, uh, 16 hours, 18 hours. But you know, don't don't negotiate. Do the 18. Um, and here's the other thing: when you're eating nutrient dense food, real food, you are satisfied. The only reason you still are hungry at the end of your third. Uh, Big Mac, or uh, what is it, Whopper? After your after your third Whopper, the reason you're still hungry is because you haven't satisfied your nutrient nutritional needs, but you're too full to eat. And you understand, and, and and I want you to see the madness there. You're, you're hungry, but you're full. So what does that mean? That means we really have to redefine what we're talking about. You still have an appetite because appetite is never satisfied, but your hunger, if you knew what it was didn't exist even when you started to eat. So, I mean, I could go into that again, but but the point is this, is that you need to do, do put the intervals, so you should probably eat in a six-hour window of the day, um, uh, and then you, and, and uh, you know, eat, eat your 80-20, your 70-30, whatever it is you want to do. Uh, that's really good. You've got to stop eating, you got to stop eating, uh, if you're under 30, at least three hours before sleep. If you're over 30, uh, four hours before sleep. Stop eating. For sure. So in summary, I would say the top four points based on what you shared was eat human food, basically mostly plants. Number two is practice time-restricted eating at least six to eight hours, have a positive mindset, and also connect with nature. From what I gather, those are the top four. Tell you one other one. Yep. Sleep early. Sleep early. Sleep early. 100%. Got it. That's as important as eating. In summary, and just to wrap up, for someone listening out there, what would you say to, to him or her who might be currently impacted by cancer, whether themselves or loved ones? Well, first of all, don't, don't be freaked out because uh, if, you get, if you get diagnosed with cancer uh, today, uh, there's nothing urgent and critical. I mean, it's been around. It's been coming about for over eight years. You know, so you do have time to do your due diligence. Cancer is just uh, um, a tap on the shoulder uh, by God to tell you to make a right-hand turn here because you're walking out of, uh, walking off a cliff. That's all it is. It's just a tap on the shoulder. And if you can do what's necessary to change your lifestyle, to change your state of mind, then cancer will become the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And all the people I have in my, that, that have gone on to live you know, many, many years later uh, have become almost evangelical uh, with their lifestyle changes. It's all lifestyle. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, nature is correcting itself. It's, you know, cancer, like Dr. Kobayashi says, that uh, cancer is not the enemy. Society is the enemy, and cancer is the cure. What does that mean? Tongue in cheek. It means that cancer is curing the, 
the madness that we have done upon nature. So nature, part of nature's immune response is to get cancer to get rid of us. But cancer doesn't do that. Cancer just says, turn right here. In other words, live healthy, get back to nature, clear your mind out, have healthy relationships. I mean, I, we didn't go into that. We talked about toxic relationships. Go to see In other words, re return to nature and you will not be eliminated. But if you don't return to niche, nature, you're going to be eliminated. So cancer is nature's way of eliminating the, the overpopulation, the madness that we're producing on Earth. Unless, but it's, it's only, but yet I want you to understand, it's only, uh, it's done it as an, uh, uh, you have the opportunity to turn in. Everyone that I've had that's turned in has changed their lives. And here's the other thing. Imagine something. Um, when, you be, when you heal from cancer because, because of this, um, uh, you become an inspiration to those you love. You become an inspiration to those you don't even know. And you become an, uh, 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 an impetus uh, 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 for change in people's lives. It's very, very important. Now, I've had many people come to me who didn't want to even get one single IV of vitamin C, and they changed 100%, but they knew in their mind, in their heart, they would heal, and they healed. If you're going to buy a car or buy a house or buy anything important, you're going to do your due diligence. In other words, you're going to check out what's, what are the options and what is the most effective. You know, when it comes to medical conditions, we don't usually do that. We just go, you know, we, we only go to the Toyota dealer. We don't even find out about the Hondas and the Mercedes and the Fords and the Chevys. We don't find out. We just always go to the Toyota dealer. Uh, and then we might even go to three different Toyota dealers and, and expecting to get different opinions. And all we get is three, two or three or four uh, first opinions. We don't even ever get a second opinion. So anyway, do your research, talk to people, et cetera, find out. Now, the only time that it is urgent, of course, is if the cancer is blocking a vital function, like you can't breathe, you can't eat, you can't uh, go to the bathroom, you know, something like that. I mean, then you, you might have to do something conventional initially. But if you're not in that condition, do your due diligence. And then I would say um, start uh, changing your diet. You have to, you have to do a, a, a fast, a cleanse, change your diet. You're going to need help. You can call us. We're happy to help you from that, even from a long distance. Uh, there, and there are many centers around the world uh, that, are, uh, that, that have experience in, in this area. But you've got to get started to clean out the system. Um, but the most important message I want to give you is don't worry, do your due diligence. And of course, we're happy uh, to help you. We've got a, our center in, um, in Phuket. Uh, I'll be helping a, a, a clinic in Kuala Lumpur open up soon. Um, and um, of course, there's Oasis in, of Healing in, uh, in Arizona. And we all have the same message. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Lodi. I really appreciate your insight and your, the work that you do. And, and I think it paints a picture of hope to people who might be affected by it. Um, so thank you very much, Dr. Lodi. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's today's episode. Thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this episode. But more importantly, take the first step to living a fitter, healthier, and more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. If you'd like more information on what's shared on this episode, visit awakemethod.com podcast. Beyond that, if you think of any of your friends or loved ones could benefit from listening to this, do share it with them. Until next time, live once, eat plants. See you on the next episode. Bye. Oh,